Thank you for taking the time to join us. In today's podcast, we're learning parenting principles from Pastor Dennis Murphy from Hope Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this episode and it gives you inspiration for your family growth. Here's Dennis. But anyway, the moment you get one of these babies, you know, the most you get one of these things, it, it, again, it's all about control. It is all about control because we fear giving up control. I don't want to give up sleeping the night through. And, and three-year-old, for crying out loud, is just now, this week, just becoming potty trained. So I'm looking at, oh, great, we might have like two months and no diapers. But uh, it's, it, it's all about control, really, as a parent. And even as a child, for that matter, it's about not wanting to give up what we want to give up, not having our lives interrupted. Um, and, and then raising children is, is a scary event, just like getting on the freeway, in case, you know, I have to emphasize that any further. I mean, there's a, I came across some very staggering statistics. Every eight seconds, a child drops out of school. Every 26 seconds, a child runs away from home. Every 47 seconds, a child is abused. How sad. And every, every seven minutes, a child is arrested for drugs. A minor is arrested for drugs. And then every 36 minutes, a, a, a minor is hurt or killed with a gun. So it's a scary proposition trying to raise your kids and keep them safe. And we want that control to be able to do so. Now, just like you know, General Motors and, and the Department of Transportation came up with some technology and some information on how to raise children, fortunately, you know, we've got some information too. But we have to trust it. We not only have to know it, but we have to trust it. We have to let go and surrender to the things of this world and to hang on to what God has given us in his instruction, the basic instruction before leaving earth, the Bible and trusting that control that he has for raising our kids. That's what this series is all about. And I want to get into a, a section today of a scripture that shows us about our heart and shows us about raising kids and an issue that I think that's very, going to be very, very helpful to us. So having said that, why don't you turn to the book of James? I'll turn to James chapter 4 today. I want us to look there. It's got this great story of, of, of how to be encouraged for raising our kids and, um, and that's what the book of James is all about. James was uh, strongly believed, this is James, uh, one of Jesus' followers. His, specifically, it's believed it was his brother that wrote this. And, and, uh, and James uh, wrote this book about 30-some years after uh, Jesus had risen. And he wrote it to the church that's all scattered around throughout all of, of, of the Roman Empire and in Asia. And so he writes this letter to them to encourage them and to give them some, uh, some words of strength and some practical words on how to live out their faith. And it, it has a great lesson for us on parenting and some things we see in, in our hearts and in our home. So go ahead and look with me here on, on James. And by the way, if you're visiting with us, the Bibles that are underneath your chairs, we want you to take it home with you. Um, thanks for coming today. And the least we can do is give you a Bible, give you God's Word. And if you've been coming for a while, we want to encourage you to bring your own Bible because we use it every week and, and write notes in it and, and study it uh, because uh, man doesn't live by bread alone but on every word spoken from the mouth of God. Amen? Yeah. Amen. And so we want to be able to, as a body of people, we want to be able to read God's Word every day and start out with that. And so we want to give you that gift of taking that home. So read with me here in James chapter 4. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? 
Now, does that sound like your kids, anybody? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Mm, that's pretty hard. We want what we don't have, and so we're willing to do anything to get it. Scheming, killing. And I, I see that with our children. They kill each other with their spirits, fighting each other. I see that as a parent. I kill my child with, their, with my own degree of control just because I'm not getting what I want. I want peace and quiet sometimes, and I'll bark at them, and I'll just crush their spirit. Well, it says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Ouch. Does that hurt anybody else out there? Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this not only speaks, I mean, this speaks to the human just the human condition, let alone parenting. I mean, of course it sounds like our kids in terms of squabbling and fighting if you have more than, than, than one child. But, but we also see this in our own hearts about not getting what we want. And it, basically what it comes down to is, as human beings, we, we don't know the limitations that God wants for us. We don't, we don't like being told No. We don't like being told that we're not going to receive something. We want what we want, and we want it now. But, but God has something else in store for us. And, and it says here in this word that it, it comes, the reason we, don't, we can't stand to hear that no is because of what's deep inside of our heart, a selfishness. A self-centeredness, a, a narcissism, a, 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 a place of, of just, if you will, isolation with I'm the only person in the world and I'm the only one that matters and i got to have what I want. And, of course, we see that in our kids. It's easy to see that. I mean, it's easier to see it in somebody else. And they come at you, you know, every day asking for things that they don't want or that they, they shouldn't have. We have to tell them, though. Sometimes it's an issue of food. I want some more ice cream, or can we have ice cream even? Or sometimes just an issue of, of entertainment. I'm bored. Can we watch another movie? No. Find something else to do. And they don't want to hear that, and so they act out. And we, we, we have struggles with that as parents, but we have struggles with this as a human being too. And we see with this particular problem, this particular conflict of our heart, there's that uh, God in his word here, the rest of the scripture, we're going to see that God gives us a warning about that aspect of our heart being selfish, and he also gives us a promise about it. And so let's, let's look to God's word here, and we'll see these two things here. here here's the warning. You adulterers. Ooh, that's pretty hard. You adulterers. Now, he's saying that not just to be specific about a, a, a behavior. He's not, he's not saying that from the aspect of you've been sleeping with someone else's wife or you've been sleeping with someone else's husband. That, that he's using this in, in a broader sense. Here, let's look at what that sense is here in the context. It says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? See, what he's saying here is really harsh to us as human beings. He's saying that you've got this desire in your heart where you want things of the world. You know, we, we want more stuff. We want, we want our, our things to be like our neighbor's things. 
Or we want our kids to be like our neighbor's kids. Or, you know, we want my job to be the same self-esteem and have the same power. You know, we're competitive people here in this country in particular. That, you know, we want to be on top like, uh, like someone else we went to school with. And he's saying that if you want that, if you want things of the world, and you don't want the things of God, then you're having adultery in your heart. You see that? You're having adultery in your heart. You're sleeping with the world. You're in bed with the world. You're not with me. That's why he says, you adulterers. Don't you realize the friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. He emphasizes it twice. He says it twice. He says in a very harsh, convicting, bullet-between-the-eyes point, you're an adulterer because of our desire, and you're sleeping with another God. You're sleeping with the world. It's brutal. It's brutal, very convicting to us. And it says, what do you think the Scriptures mean? Verse 5, what do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? The spirit that God has placed within us is filled with envy. What is that saying? I mean, that's basically saying that, that, that God loves us. He adores us. I mean, he loves us so much that he died on a cross for us. He came to this world, God creator, the, the, the spirit, the, the thing that was before there ever was and the thing that will be after everything's gone, God created heaven and earth. He spoke with his mouth, with his breath, and put everything into existence. That spirit, that wind, that solar wind, if you want to look at how science is, is trying to define it, created heaven and earth. And then he created a man. If he can do heavens and earth and moons and stars, and he can create a man and be here with us and walk in physical flesh, and take a sacrifice for us, for our sins. Take in sin. Become what was used to be sacrifice, being a lamb for what we did wrong. He can become that lamb spiritually, in the metaphysical, in the supernatural. He can ingest and take in and eat all that sin and die on it and kill it because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not die but would have eternal life. God did not come into this world to condemn the world but to save it through him. That's how much he loves you. And like any love, it's jealous. It's jealous when the object of your love goes somewhere else. It's a jealousy that we can understand as a human being. When someone we love dearly and, and they have affection or even glances their eye towards something else that's not adoring towards us, there's a jealousy and there's an envy. And God has that love for you, that he wants your heart, 100% of your heart, enraptured into him, desiring what he wants. That's the warning that's the warning. Now there, here comes the promise. Here comes the promise. 
It's very cool. It says in verse 6, But yet he gives even more grace, even more grace to stand against such evil desires. See, we've got this part of our heart. We've got this part of our heart that wants things in the world. We want it to fill us up. And, and you can fill in the blank, and that's where we'll go. I mean, it'll be food. We turn to food for comfort. Some, some of us can get into patterns in our lives where we're turning to food for comfort because of wounds that have happened to us that, from other people that shouldn't have done things like that. We'll turn to, to food for comfort, and we'll try to fill ourselves up with that. That, that evil desire as opposed to turning to him for the love and the healing. Or we'll turn to sex. Or we'll turn to drugs. Or we'll turn to work and our self-achievement and trying to be grand to build ourselves up. Or we'll, or we'll turn to finances. Our heart will, will go into debt not recognizing that we should have learned the limits. We should have heard the word no. We'll go all the way through those things. But God's grace is even more bigger than that. The word in, in the original language was mega. Mega. Not supersized, but mega. Mega. Say that with me. Mega. That's how much God's grace and his power is. It's mega. One more time. Mega. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge power to stand against such evil desires, to stand against it, even though it draws it to us, even though the, the enemy wants to pull us into it. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. There's that promise. If we're willing to humble ourselves, we're willing to bow before him and humble. You can only bow to one thing. You ever notice that? Notice that you can't bow to two things at the same time. You can't bow to the world and bow to God at the same time. You can only bow to God if we'll humble ourselves before him and bow before him in seeking what he wants. He gives us that favor. And so there's this action step for us here that says, so humble yourselves before God. And check this word out. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Now, so for some of us, we're deeply entwined with those types of addictions where we know that, you know, that God doesn't want them and we want to get rid of them. We struggle with it. Now, this word is, is it's a, it's key to know what this word resist really means. It, it's, um, it's not provoke and, and, and fight against the devil. We don't want to agitate him. He's a powerful spiritual force. I mean, God and his word and it's very clear that we live in, 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 a, in a natural realm with a supernatural reality. In other words, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual one. We, we live in this realm where there is evil things that are out there pulling at us, wanting our heart to be there, and it, and it feels good. It's the half-truth of what the enemy wants for us to believe. It, hey, you know? Uh, things are fine. I think it's one of the things that the devil has won over the United States of America is he's just poured out abundance to us. We've got it all. We don't need God. We, we forget about him. But this says in this word here to resist it. Now, the word that, that was used in Greek, it's sort of this compound word. It means anti, and then it's got this other word. It's, it, it, it sounds like 
antihistamine because that's where they get the root of it. Antihistamine comes from antihistamia, and this histamia, not to get all technical and, you know, professorial on you, but I just want you to know what it means. It means anti-against, and then histamia has a root word of foundation, stasis is where we get that, the, that word, stasis. It means to, to have a, a resistance based on your foundation. Okay, so the resisting is, is, not, is not really an offensive provocation. The resisting is having a stand, having a posture of strength and of power inside of God. To be humble and say, my power isn't working. I'm not handling it well. It's not what you would have me be blessed with. I need to stand and humble myself and be with you and submit that I cannot stand in that space. I can only be with you. That's the resistance, to have that anti-stand, to, to be firmly rooted in, in your posture with him. And, and so you look at that, and he kind of elaborates on here in the rest of the word. In, in verse 8, it says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands. In other words, what you do, the actions you have. Wash your hands. Clean themselves from it, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears. And here he gets into this deep teaching of what repentance is all about. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. You know, that's what repentance is all about. Sometimes we we hear that churchy word, repentance, and we don't like to hear it because, you know, it's been badgered against as repent and turn and, and you know, you're going to hell if you don't repent. Well, it's very true, and we need to hear it. And the true repentance is not just just going from recognition of going, okay, I, I see that what I did was wrong. Wrong, and 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 not, and it's beyond just recognizing it. You have to go to that step first. But then once you recognize it, then you gotta get beyond just regret of oh, I'm sorry, my life is messed up, or I'm sorry, I'm I'm not I'm not blessed financially, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm my health is poor because of my weight, or I'm sorry because that you know my children are 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 being scarred because I've got bitterness and anger, and I can't I haven't gotten to this place of forgiveness. You know, it, it, I'm sorry that my marriage is messed up because I when I, I want a happy marriage, but for whatever reason, I just keep tossing my heart out into pornography on the internet. And, and it's, it's, it's beyond regret. It's to a place in this of deep grief and sorrow. It's into a place of repulsion of what that has done. Not repulsive what it's doing to me, but repulsive for what it did to God. Repulsive because of what it, it, the pain it caused him. 39 lashes on his back. Nails in his side, being mocked and, and, and scorned, hanging on a cross to die because of where our heart was. True repentance has to have our heart in a place of repulsion and have our heart in a place of compassion and grief for what we've done to God. And if we go to that place, he lifts us up with his blood and the power of his love. And it gives us forgiveness, and it gives us eternal life. And that's the promise. That's the promise that he's giving us here. Humble yourselves before the Lord, verse 10. And he will what? Lift you up. Say that with me. Lift you up. Yeah. 
that mega love that he gives us will lift us up if we repent, if we repent and turn to him. So what does that have to do with parenting? Well, it has kind of everything to do with parenting. And specifically, it has everything to do with parenting in, in how our kids overreact to when we say no. Because this is what's going on in their heart. See, when, when a kid overacts when we say no to something, it's because they're grieving a loss. They're going through grief. They're emotionally attached like we are. I mean, I'm sure for many of you, it's uncomfortable for you to hear me you know, speak out on places that our heart goes to because you really don't want to give them up. You know, and so we grieve that, and they go through grief, and, and we, see, uh, we see a couple different behaviors that are really pretty common. I mean, as parents, we don't like to see that grief, and so sometimes what we'll do in, as they behave, they act out, they, they, you know, we'll, we'll cave in to their behavior. They, they show anger when they grieve. They show um, badgering when they grieve, and, and they, they go into whining. Those are three real common behaviors. By the way, I'm pulling this stuff off again from uh, our, uh, our, our authors that we had for the, our conference, Dr. Scott Taransky and Joanne Miller, just to give a little plug for their stuff. We've got it in a table back there. If you need help in, in purchasing some of the materials from Parenting is Heart Work, it's good stuff. We'd love to help you out financially and buying it and using it in your home. And also there's a, a, a parenting support group that's going on here in the church uh, led by David Brockman. Um, David, forgive me for the commercial again, but do you mind standing up? And uh, if you need to get in a parent support group, thank you, David. But here's the deal. Kids will go through these three behaviors, and these are grieving behaviors because they don't want to surrender to what they are emotionally attached to. Okay? And so as parents, what we do is we'll, we'll, because we're not getting what we want, which is quiet and peace, Right? We're not getting, you know, control of our kids, right? What we do as parents is we will have two extremes. We'll just kind of be over general. We'll either get angry at them, stop yelling at me, or we'll engage in the argument because we're smarter and we can outthink them and we can outlogic them and we'll win. Darn it. You know, maybe I'm starting to lose in my eight-year-old now. That's kind of getting to be a little bit of a shame. But, uh, you know, we'll win most of the time. And we'll win by control. If we lose the argument, we'll just, you know, lock them up. Duct tape is really good. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, so we, we overreact by getting angry or we'll overreact by caving in. And, and our culture just caves in. And we just give and give and give. And just give them what they want and give them what they want. And so their hearts in their training, as you can see from James, their hearts never get to a place of limits and boundaries of God has limits for us. Some things are good, but there's some things that are better. Okay, God has some plans that are better. God has some plans. The enemy comes to rob, kill, steal, and destroy, but I came to give you life to the full. Okay, that's what God has, is life to the full for us. And we need to know that there's limits on that, and our children and as parents, we need to teach them those things. We need to teach them those limits. So let me give you three really some, some simple tips on the arguing thing. First on the, on the arguing, it takes two to argue. So don't do it. You don't have to prove your brilliance to your kids. It's okay. You know, you, you can avoid it. So, and then you can always, in the argument thing, know this as a parent, um, uh, you, can, you can postpone the argument too if you're emotionally engaged. Emotionally, you can just postpone it. 
They can argue all they want. They can follow you around the room shouting and everything else. And you say, you know, I'm not going to discuss this right now. Obviously, we're arguing, and that's not good. And in a minute, I'll be able to talk to you. Because we do also want to give them, you know, sometimes an opportunity for an appeal. It's good to have that as a growth step depending on their age and their development and where they're at. Maybe they're teenagers. You always want to give an opportunity to appeal to give you more information. But you want to make sure it's done in a way it's not abusive to you. See, you don't tolerate abuse to you. Don't tolerate that. And, and you don't have to get angry about that. You just have to shut down the relationship about that. You're obviously shouting at me or you're angry. And so I'm not going to talk to you right now. I need you to go in that quiet break place and just sit, and when you're ready to treat me like a nice human being, then we'll, we can talk about this. So that, that's kind of a tip on the arguing part. The, the, uh, the badgering, that's a great word, badger. It's this animal that, um, that digs and claws and digs and scratches and is tenacious until it gets burrowed down into where you want, and that's where our kids are. And, you know, when, when, you know can I have a snack? No, we're going to have dinner in a little bit. Well, can, and can, I, have a, you know, can I have some uh, a smoothie then? No, we're going to have dinner in a little bit. Well, can I, you know, they just keep at you and keep at you, and they grind you down. And so eventually, okay, yeah, go ahead, have some goldfish. Well, we give, you know, we just gave in because we, we don't like the badgering. We don't like the badgering. So we need to, uh, uh, this issue here on limits is something we need to raise their awareness of. And so just teach them what badgering is. They may not understand it, and they may be very, very skilled at this at, at, old, at older ages, but they, you can still talk about this as an adult of this is an improper behavior. It doesn't honor me because I, I, haven't, I haven't made a decision yet, or I have made a decision, and, and, and you're not treating me with respect on that decision. And so, you know, just let them know what badgering is, and it's not appropriate. And again, it's sort of like arguing or whining, just that when, when the time comes and we can talk about what this issue is, or I have said no, and you just need to learn with the disappointment. I under, and, and to acknowledge their feelings, too. Again, they're going through grief. I understand you're disappointed that you cannot eat something right now. I know that's emotionally important for you, and I just want you to know I really, you know, I really feel for those you know, feelings, but sometimes we don't always get what we want, and you're going to be okay because we're going to eat in another 10 minutes. Now set the table. No, I'm just kidding. I blow it sometimes anyway. Um, the, the, next, the next skill that they get some tips on is, is the whining. Is, is the whining. And um, again, it's sort of like the argument. Just, you know, don't engage with it. Don't engage with it. In our family, my wife is much better at this than I am. And she, she you know, when they, she hears that whining sound, it just, you know, just, oh, it's, like, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, isn't it? As a parent, you know, you hear that whining sound. She, she goes, I, I don't hear whining. I, I can't hear the words being spoken. You have to change your tone. And so they get a little bit more disciplined about the tone. Their heart might not change because we can't, here's the thing about kids, we can't force, we can't force emotions upon them. You know, you, in this process of teaching them the limits, you really can't force them to be repentant in, in terms of what God has in store for repentance. You know, you can't force them to, to a place of being repulsed to what they want. You can't force them to a place of grief and sorrow for what they did to you. But you can teach them that the behavior that they have isn't appropriate towards you. Okay? You can teach them that with, with, the, uh, with the whining that the, it's an opportunity to learn to live without something. They still might want it, 
They, they might not be sorry for the fact that they were whining, but they can learn to understand that whining doesn't cut it. Whining doesn't cut it. And that, again, they're just sad, and they need to express their sadness in another way. And some kids, you know, some kids perfect whining to the ages of 75 and 80. They're, I mean, we all know people that are just Eeyores. You know, Eeyore's a whiner. And what it amounts to is that is, I think that's a good lesson to teach kids or, or adults or teens for that matter is that, you know what, some people just like to be sad. And obviously, you're having that experience right now. And so, why don't you go over there and be sad? Go, you know, you can both, go be in your room and be sad. Um, but don't be around me because we want to be happy right now. And that's the way life is, unfortunately. You know, happy people don't like to be around sad whiners. And so, you probably need to learn that at an early age. You can be sad, it's okay, but when you're done being sad, come back with us because we we're, we're, want to be happy. Don't get that on me right now because you're being inappropriate with it. And so, yeah, it's just something you want to teach them. So, you know, we see these particular tools. Now, having said all this, let me, let me give us a challenge here as a church then, just kind of in closing. Let's, let's give ourselves this challenge, and that is to really look as parents here, as I kind of talked about some tools for teaching our kids some limits in their behavior, in, in their heart. Um, take an honest gut check for yourself, moms and dads, and, and, and talk about this today. Write this down to talk about. I mean, how, what tools are you using well right now for this issue of showing limits to your kids? You're probably doing some good stuff. You want to acknowledge that. You want to encourage that. And, and, and uh, you know, moms... Encourage your husbands in, in what they're doing well, and husbands encourage your wives in what you see them doing well. And then the next step, obviously, then, is uh, where, where do you have some opportunities to improve? Where can you make things better? What's some behavior? And again, if you need some tools and some help with that, uh, let us know. We've got some stuff on the table for you to read, perhaps, or maybe it's just a simple tip that we've kind of encountered by going through some of the trainings that the, the Parenting as Heartwork people have shown to us. So let us know how we can help with that. And then as for all of us, and as we heard from God and his word, here's another challenge for us, and that is to kind of take a self-examination in that, um, you know, where is it in our heart? Where is it in our heart that we don't want to go through denial and being denied something? Where are we demanding to God? That's a real big blockage. We all have one. We all do have one. Where is it that we don't like to have God say no, that we don't want to go through, that we want it our way with him? Because he wants us to repent from that. So pray to God. We're going to pray that in a moment. Pray to God for him to show it to you. Don't go through life pretending not to know about it. You want to know about it and let it go so that we can repent and turn to God and humble ourselves before him and have him lift you up and rise and rise. And so why don't you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are and your word of truth. I ask, Lord, right now that you would show us our heart, show us we're, we're selfish, Show us, Lord, where 
we have desires of the world. Show us, Lord, where we're two-year-olds, wanting what we want, not willing to hear no, go around the world whining about it or arguing about it. May we argue to the world and they don't even know why we're arguing. And Lord, I just ask that you would not just show it to us, Lord, not just to help us recognize it, but take us to a place of repulsion, take us to a place of deep grief and sorrow and regret to what we have done to you. Help us, Lord, with our children. Help us, God, to train them and to teach them in, in your ways so that when they grow up, they won't walk from it. Thank you for this truth and this encouragement of your word, Lord. And I ask, God, that you would just, I praise you for your promise here, Lord. Your promise that is just really clear. It's one of those things where, you know, you, you speak and it doesn't go away. That you oppose the proud, but you favor the humble. Show us our pride. Help us to be humble to you so you may lift us up. Lift us up, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Once again, thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the tools mentioned in this podcast, you can find it at biblicalparenting.org.